0: Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2. Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense, The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and this show really looks to explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR executives from all types of industries. When I'm out at uh, networking events and industry conferences, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you, the listener, to hear our dialogue and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live, but don't forget you can submit your questions to our guests via Twitter. Just uh, tweet your questions at PeopleG2 and use the hashtag TalentTalk, and my producer Mike will feed us the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget you can also listen via our podcast on iTunes, Android, or any other platform that we can grab podcasts, and subscribe to have that weekly show sent to you. So far, we have, uh, I think, over 7,500 subscribers, and we're really proud of that. With that said, let's get today's show started. My guests today are Marty Furman, Executive Vice President of Operations and CEO Designate of Wagner Dye Supply, and also Julie Weber, Vice President of People from Southwest Airlines. Julie will be joining me on the uh, second half of the show, so let's get to our first guest. Marty, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and of course the company you're working for, Wagner Dye Supply.
2: Most importantly, uh, I've been married for 35 years to the same person. Uh, We're lucky enough to have three adult children that are both all doing well in their careers and uh, one grandchild.
1: And I happen to know all three and he's right, they're our good kids. (laughs) We got lucky. (laughs)
2: Uh, from a career standpoint, uh, formal education was technical, chemical engineering, and chemistry uh, back east, University of Maryland, so I am a Terrapin. Got an MBA in finance later on at Loyola College, or now Loyola University, mm-hmm. which it sound a little bit more impressive. <laughs> uh, Do they
1: give you an upgraded diploma for that?
2: Uh, no, but they send me more uh, requests for donations. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> you, you know, the first half of my career was all manufacturing and engineering. Uh, big companies, Procter & Gamble, uh, Frito-Lay, Avery Dennison, but I always wanted to run my own business or run a business. And I found that uh, I was typecast as a as a manufacturing and technical guy, mm-hmm. and eventually I had to reinvent myself. Fortunately at Avery, I got a couple of chances to run some divisions, uh, turn them around, make them profitable, and uh, finally gain some sales and marketing experience. Uh, but that was really, you know, uh, looking to do something a little bit different. And then eventually, from those experiences, joined a family-owned company in Southern California, Trojan Battery Company where I became VP of Marketing and then Business Development. So now I fully reinvented myself, if you will. Uh, Sometimes funny that after 20 years of manufacturing experience, and then you find yourself in marketing, people think you know nothing about manufacturing. But getting that diversity of experience was very helpful. Uh, Eventually became Chief Operating Officer of uh, Pentel of America and then Toyo Tires, uh, where that breadth of experience was very helpful to me and probably key in getting those jobs to begin with. Uh, and more recently joined uh, Wagner Die Supply uh, as Executive Vice President of Operations uh, and CEO Designate. And basically what that means is if I don't mess up, I'll be part of the succession plan in the company and uh, become the CEO uh, in sh- fairly short order. Wagner, interesting company, uh, was founded in 1947. I'm not sure too many companies can say they've been in business that long. And it's purchased by a gentleman by the name of Al Knutson in uh, 1970. And it's been under family control ever since then. And and Al at 87 still comes into the office every once in a while. And pretty sharp guy. Uh, several years ago, uh, Wagner became uh, an ESOP, so a 60% employee-owned company, uh, which really changed the dynamic quite a bit. And is also one of the reasons they wanted to bring somebody like me in, uh, because now the you know the Knutson family, even though uh, Mike. And, and Tom have been involved in the company for over 40 years. Uh, they're wanting to back off a little bit, but they have a great sense of responsibility to the employees, which is why they created the ESOP to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they recognize they've got to grow. So the as a as a family-owned company, they were probably making enough money. Uh, but as an ESOP, um, and, and being responsible for the financial security. For you know, many more people. Um, they know they need to grow the company.
1: So, so for those that maybe they don't know, maybe you can kind of explain <coughs> in, in a few sentences kind of what an, uh, an ESOP is. Maybe not the particular details of of how yours works, but how does that work in general?
2: Yeah, it's ESOPs are actually very complicated um, systems that have to get approval from the IRS. Mm-hmm. But essentially, the uh, the employees become the o- owners of the company, and in this case. Wagner sold 60% of the company to the employees. So for the, the ownership of the company, initially, it becomes a, a tax-friendly way of diversifying their, their income, uh, other assets, uh, as well as retaining control of the company. Mm-hmm. But employees share in, the, in the, uh, the increased valuation of the company. And so far, the employees have done quite well.
1: So since the company is an ESOP, do you feel kind of more pressure to contribute immediately to really increase the valuation of the company? Well, there's certainly
2: a great sense of responsibility um, because the the future of all of our employees really depends upon the growth of the company, uh, the success of the company, and, and, of course, as the leader of, the, of that company going forward, um, a lot of that falls under my shoulders. The helpful part of it is being a family-controlled company and not a public company or a private equity-owned company, uh, we don't have to increase the valuation tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to take um, the risks associated with that give us a luxury of having a little bit of a, of a longer term perspective on the business.
1: So with 60% of the employees that are owning the business, when you consider the struggles that, you know, some companies have had with finding and holding top talent, do you feel like that makes it easier or harder to bring in the right people uh, kind of given the the unique scenario that you have there?
2: Well, I'm not sure it's easier to to bring people into the company simply because we're an ESOP. It's certainly attractive to a lot of people. Because the concept is, is very attractive to a lot of people. But the ESOP, for us, really will benefit people over the longer period of time. Now, there's a vesting period, um, but if people plan to stay at a company for 10, 15, 20 years, they can do quite well with that. Also, the, the Knutson family that have, uh, that have run the company have done so with a great sense of loyalty to employees. So it, it fits the culture of the company, the culture of the family. to build that long-term relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. Turning this a little bit towards your background, you know, you talked about some of the positions that you've held over the years, and I think undoubtedly you contributed to developing the strategic direction of a company uh, while you were there, and whether that's through cost-cutting measures or improving profitability or even configuring the talent pool. Can you talk a little bit about your experience identifying the key needs for a company, especially when it comes to talent selection and how you decide, you know, is this what we need to really help us move forward?
2: Well, one thing is I've learned is um, every company is different, every situation is different. Um, I've had experience at the multinational, huge companies like a Procter and Gamble, and I've had experience at smaller family-owned businesses as well. I'm also, experience with companies that um, are have been failing. It, you know, in my approach has always been to start with uh, a deep understanding of the financials and the cost structure. Once you get past that. Then it's a meeting with as many employees as possible. In larger companies, of course, you can't meet with everybody. Mm-hmm. So I try to seek out what I would call the thought leaders, those that influence the rest of the organization, and then get to customers as quickly as possible. And and I have found that customers will really tell you what's going on. Uh, they'll give you the honest feedback about your company. Mm-hmm. What are we doing well? <laughs> what are we doing badly? You know, A typical question I ask is, who's your best supplier? Hopefully it's us, whoever that may be, but often it's not. And then so what do they do that's different? And then really try to understand not only our customer's business, but their customer's business, and then figure out how we can do do a better job for them. So, you know, the classic case might be how can I reduce your costs, uh, even though it may take some investment on my end, but my investment is is lower than the cost reduction to you, uh, so we all benefit. Um, Sometimes it's a leap of faith. Uh, that if we can help our customers grow their businesses, you know they'll grow with us, and we just move forward from there. But again, every industry is different, and what's right for an industry or today may have been very different uh, five years ago.
1: So w- once you've kind of gotten yourself into a, that company, you feel comfortable, you understand the financials and and maybe where the company is strong or weak and and that comes that moment when you need to then start bringing people in, uh, whether it's to replace somebody or whether it's to, Identify a need that has been really lingering for a while. What's kind of your personal approach in finding that right person? Is it very democratic? Are you involving a lot of other people in the process, or is it you know something where you're finding the right person for you that you need on your team, or maybe something different?
2: Well, a lot of the typical approaches, you know, the first place often is that I like to look at is internal to the company, uh, because even in when I've been in businesses that have been failing. Usually, it's not because the employees in the company are uh, not talented or not capable. It's often as with a change in leadership, um, a change in vision, a change in managerial style. People that you know didn't have confidence in themselves find that they're really able to uh, to exceed their own expectations. But almost always, there is a need for for change. You have to m- have the courage to make a tough decision with respect and dignity, because however you handle uh, a person who who has to leave, uh, everybody else sees that. You're treating that person properly, one, for them, and it makes uh, makes it easier to make a difficult decision, but also everybody sees it, and you send a very clear message of how you're going to treat people by how you make those difficult decisions. So you, you do have to go outside. Often the first place is your own network, mm-hmm. which I encourage everybody to stay networked uh, very actively, not only when you're in transition. <laughs> uh, and I will tell you, it's much easier to stay networked when you're employed. Right. You know, then, you know, of course, you've got the online services, LinkedIn, and occasionally needing to, to use recruiters. But one of the things I've learned over time is uh, there's some things that, um, as a leader and a manager, you can coach and some things that you just can't. We can teach about the business. We can teach about the industry. Um, to a large extent, you can teach about the technology that your, your business has. But at least for me, I found I cannot coach personality. I right. cannot coach people to be curious. I cannot coach people to uh, to have a desire to succeed, to be optimistic, to be able to work in a world of diversity. So I don't. I look for people who are like that uh, already. And something I remember hearing many years ago, and it might be. F- from your guest later on today, uh, the question that was posed to her, and I hope I'm not stealing her thunder, is, "Well, how do you find such nice people to work at Southwest Airlines? How do you train them?" And the answer was, "We hire nice people to begin with." <laughs> right. So it just kind of reinforced... So counterintuitive, them. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some things that uh, you just can't you just can't teach and coach.
1: Right. And I, I've learned to accept that over time. And we recently did a uh, a whole. Strengths Finder analysis within our company. Gallup has a really cool, really cheap test, like ten bucks a person or something, and it gives everyone their top five strengths. So a lot of assessments said, we'll look at what you're good at, what you're bad at, and it's kind of a you know a big thing. And people don't always like to look at maybe the things they're not good at. So we kind of took this one and said, let's run with what what are you really good at, you know? And it was interesting. We found a couple of people that maybe were in the wrong spot. That maybe they would be shining a bit brighter if they were in a different area or doing different work. Because of their strengths, although they applied for a job and they filled a job, but now that we know them very well, they may, we have someone who does verifications for us. She doesn't really have to talk to people very often. I mean, she talks to employers, but not our customers. And found that she has all these sales related things that she could be doing. And so we're going to have her start to, to, to explore that. So sometimes that internal cultivation, like you're talking about, can be done. And sometimes you got to go outside and find the right person for that right job. What well, always ha- helps, I think, to have a blend. Mm-hmm. Um, of experienced people within a company people that have been there
2: 20, 30, 40 years that know the history, know where all the bodies are buried um, <laughs> and, but also new people that can bring best practices from, from other experiences and then making sure that new people honor and respect the, uh, the experience and knowledge of the people that have been there for a while um, and then if you blend them together you have got, you got something that's really powerful
1: so now that you're in that uh, your current position uh, on your road to hopefully we go from designate to actual CEO with full honors and privileges and responsibilities, uh, what do you feel is the most important thing you want people in your organization to really know about success as it relates to maybe utilizing their own personal talents to the fullest?
2: I think it's it's understanding and educating about the world in general. You know, those of us that have been in business and industry for 30 or 40 years, I can't believe I'm saying 30 or 40 years about myself. And we seeing, can edit
1: that if that helps. We can yeah. just say 10 or 20 later. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, I know when I when I first joined Procter & Gamble, I fully expected to retire from that company. Mm-hmm. And they treated me as though they fully expected me to retire from that company. And I think about that today, and it, it's almost comical and, and, and naive, but that is the way it was. I worked in a, in a factory that had been around for 50 years um, back in Baltimore in Every week, we were celebrating a retirement of somebody who'd been with the company for 40 years. Right. And often, their children work there, and in some cases, their grandchildren work there. Well, that factory today is in downtown Baltimore, and half of it is apartment buildings. Condominiums called Tide Point, and the other half is the world headquarters of Under Armour. So, things change all the time. You right. know, we've seen with manufacturing jobs moving to, to Asia. Well, guess what? Manufacturing jobs are moving back to the United States. Uh, companies change all the time. So, what I in, encourage people is: What would you tell your your child who's eighteen or twenty two or twenty four? Uh, it's really about making sure you're employable or increases your probability of being employable. So, so how do you do that? My experience tells me: Number one is you got to deliver great results. When you put out a resume and you talk to somebody, you're competing with a lot of people, and if you can speak to great results that you made happen or you contributed to in a significant way um, that will get somebody's attention oh and oh by the way that's great for our company today while you're there got to continue to develop skills um, and stay educated Uh, it's amazing how many people i've i've met that have you know they've been in business for 20 years uh, or out of school for 20 years and you ask them what they've done to increase their skills in the last three years and they can't answer the question. Mm-hmm. They think, "Oh, you know, I've got my college degree, if that's where it's at, or I got my apprenticeship, or I got my license, and I'm and I'm good." But the world just changes too much. Again, developing people's skills, training, benefits the company they're at today. Stay networked. People come around to each other. You you know you will need those those folks in the future, and pay it forward. Again, it still helps our business today. Uh, you'll find c- new customers by staying networked. You find new suppliers. It makes a difference. And always, always treat people with dignity and respect. It yeah. comes around. If you, you know, if you're the bully at work, guess what? One day you're going to need that person who you've been bullying around. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody wants to work for that kind of a person anyway. You can get great results in a company by treating people the right way. All
1: right. So, you know, you talked about kind of People changing and uh, working to improve themselves and, and kind of being ready for that next spot. So, how, do you think you've changed as a leader over time? And if so, what have brought kind of about those changes? Of course,
2: I have. I think all of us have to, uh, if nothing else, again, because the world around us changes. So, people need to be, uh, you know, different leadership styles work at different times and, and with different people. Uh, we're in a diverse world. Uh, for me, the, the biggest thing that's helped me is gaining um, hands on functional experience from the early days of manufacturing and engineering to, to more recently in sales and marketing um, and, and listening and paying attention to the customer. That's helped me a lot. But the one thing I always have to um, to remind myself of is ask lots of questions, shut up, listen and learn.
1: <laughs> I can't tell you how many of our guests have, have talked about that. A very similar thing that, you know, to, to be good listeners... You know, they kind of phrase it a different way. I mean, I I think I would describe it the way you have is to shut up and listen uh, as much as you can. And usually you you get so much more out of that. Um, and, And if you're also kind of creating that environment to allow people to feel comfortable, too, to talk and to tell you things and give you that feedback you need and not just to shake their heads yes every time you have an idea.
2: Well, that's right. You know, you see it very often. You know, in my current role, I've been there two and a half months now, and I visited with, I counted this morning, 56 customers verify that that's one of the first things i do and uh most of the customers have great things to say about wagner dice like great customer service great cu- service and delivery good real excellent quality i said well that's nice to hear but i can't get any better based on what you just told me i need to hear what we can do differently and better than we ever have before those are the people that really help us mm-hmm. when they make when they
1: make suggestions and, and, and give us some constructive criticism is there a specific skill or technique that maybe you feel like contributes to your role now that you had to work on over time that you know, maybe it wasn't as natural or as uh, immediate for you in the beginning, but you know you felt like it was real important for you to be to be good at to be successful?
2: Well, I think it's still that listening and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think early in my career, you know, when I was, I, I use an example of, of Procter and Gamble, I'd been there eight years. I I knew the manufacturing process extremely well. I found myself tending to ask fewer questions because I thought I knew the answer. Mm-hmm. And I often remind myself of that, is even if I think I know the answer, uh, it's wise to ask the question, and ask the question in, in different ways. It's really amazing what people will
1: tell you uh, if you just ask the question and just let them, let them talk. We, we sometimes, in certain situations, if we know that it's really important for us to know the right answer, we'll ask the question three times in three different ways, at minimum at three different times you know in the conversation and amazing what you end up with as that final answer and how different it is from what the first time the answer to even what you thought was going to be the answer ahead of time right that people can really surprise you and it's it's very true so uh, one of our favorite questions to ask on the show and people have given us such diverse and wonderful answers uh is what are you reading right now
2: well i tend to be more of a reader of uh a Current events and periodicals and and newspapers and and so the the
1: National Enquirer. You're telling us no. (laughs)
2: Uh, I haven't seen this morning's edition yet, but I'll go to the store tonight and I'll while waiting in line. But actually, my wife would be very pleased. I just finished reading uh, On China by uh, by Henry Kissinger. Okay. And uh, because I had done a lot of business in China in in previous roles, and I've probably been there about ten times uh, in the last decade or so. But what I found interesting is obviously learned a, a lot about the history and culture that I didn't know. But what I really found interesting, particularly in you know looking around the world today, is the period when we began opening the doors uh, to China. Of course, Kissinger was heavily involved in that. And he spoke about that. But it was the importance of diplomacy and the art and beauty of diplomacy, and the importance of really understanding the other person's point of view, as well as staying focused on the big picture. You know, there are many uh, situations that have occurred in the last, I guess, thirty or forty years. They could have um, escalated to conflict, mm-hmm. but because the leader us on both sides kept focus on the big picture uh, of peace and po- prosperity and, and economic well-being for, for their countries, they were able to find a way to work their way through it. So it's a footnote, and uh, historically, right. you know, this incident even occurred, and they've been able to manage it. And I think there's a lot of learning with, with what's going on in Iran today in, in the uh, the the talks and negotiations about, you know, controlling the nuclear program in Iran. You still can't blindly trust anybody, and, and the same thing was true with uh, with the relationship in China. But it was really taking the time to understand the other person, understand diplomacy. In in many t- situations in, in the book, uh, Kissinger does a really good job saying, here's how China views the United States. We tend to never think about how does the other other party view mm-hmm. us, We're always right, and how, whether it be factually true or not, a lot of other countries view the United States as occasionally being the bully in the world. We don't view ourselves that way, but it really doesn't matter whether we are or not. It's understanding how the other person views the situation and then figuring out a way to deal with it.
1: right. Well, Marty, I really appreciate you being on the show today. You've been a very informative and very good guest for us. Hopefully, you can come back and give us uh, an update on on how your company is doing in the future. And uh, the final question I want to make sure we ask you is, how does people find out more about you or about your company if they're interested?
2: Well, about me, the easy one is uh, I'm obviously on LinkedIn uh, as Marty Furman. and uh, You can email me at martyfurman at gmail.com and visit our company website. At
1: uh, Wagner Dye Supply, Die Supply, D I E Supply.com. Uh, terrific. Marty, thank you again so much for being on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It was a pleasure having you. Up next, after our quick commercial break, will be Julie Weber of Southwest Airlines. And now, back with Chris and his next guest. My next guest is Julie Weber, the vice president of Southwest Airlines, uh, vice president of People. But before we get to her, don't forget, you can tweet your questions live right now for Julie by sending them to at PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk. You can also subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the show tabs and of course clicking on Talent Talk. In the short time we've existed, we've amassed a huge following on uh, iTunes and other uh, Android and other uh, podcast areas and we really appreciate the support. So let's get to my uh, next guest, Julie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us about yourself, a little bit about your background and of course, the fantastic company we all all are familiar with that you are currently working for.
3: Sure. Well, I have been in human resources for over 15 years and um, started with uh, recruiting. So uh, my background uh, began with um, recruiting talent. And the company I work for, Southwest Airlines, I think is the best company um, to work for. And I have been here for just over seven years.
1: So being a part of uh, Southwest Airlines, it obviously kind of puts you in the middle of a very specific and competitive industry. You know, can you talk a little bit about the challenges of recruiting and keeping top people uh, at your airline?
3: Sure. You know, the, we are very fortunate at Southwest Airlines. We have an amazing brand um, to recruit for. So one of our greatest challenges is actually having a very high volume of interest In our positions, so um, it it makes it um, a fun job, but it makes it a difficult job as we are uh, as we sort through a lot of candidates to get to the best. Um, In terms of keeping top talent, we are we're fortunate we have a very low uh, turnover, um, but we don't take that for granted. So even at um, Southwest Airlines, which you know so many people here, it's the best place to work. Um, We don't take that for granted, and we have a a big focus on ensuring that we stay a best place to work. We actually even have a best place to work committee um, that focuses on ensuring that we remain competitive.
1: You know, when we first uh, booked you on this show, it was some, some excitement, I think, because we really, I think it's really viewed across industries at Southwest as kind of this, you know, gleaming light of, of where maybe you, you can be from having good culture, from having good people work for you. Um, and obviously that's a really strong part of what your company does, but on the flip side there's probably got to be a little bit of pressure to keep that up at the same time. Um, you know, and even our last guest was talking, he used Southwest as an example uh, to something he was talking about. And I, I, I hear it all the time when you know, people are talking about things they will bring up several different companies, but Southwest is one of them that's pretty regular. So, you know, what are some of the kind of the keys you, you utilize in keeping your, your team leaders motivated to really working atro- towards that, you know, ultimate goals within your departments and, and kind of keeping things up to, you know, up to par of what you expect?
3: So in the people department, we have a mission and a vision that is tied to Southwest's overall um, mission, vision, and purpose. And so, what what I work to do, and what um, the leaders in the People Department work to do, we we work to ensure that that every um, employee in the People Department understands how vitally important they are to Southwest. So, you know, we believe our people um, at Southwest Airlines that that's our differentiator. Um, it's the amazing customer service um, that we provide, and in the People Department, we're responsible for. You know, Selecting that talent, bringing that talent on board, um, ensuring that, um, they receive great benefits and great pay, um, and, and we're sure that, ensure that we retain them. So that's what we do in the people department with our own, um, employees is, is to ensure that they really understand that what they do every day is critical to the bottom line of Southwest.
1: Well, what I always find amazing when I'm sitting on a Southwest flight is how the the staff, I mean, obviously there are so many more employees than just those who are on the actual flights that are contributing, you know, to the, to the overall goals of the company. But I think the, the ones that are the face of the company are those that are on the plane with you. And, um, it amazes me how those people can be so friendly and nice and yet can be a bit funny and a little bit different than other airlines without kind of going over the line where it becomes inappropriate or someone gets offended or what have you. That, that, that that's got to be a really tight line. And I'm not sure if you guys just do a really good job of finding those people or if there's a level of training in that as well.
3: So first of all, I think it is all about hiring. Mm-hmm. So we focus on hiring people who want to put others first, who want to serve others that's a big um, key to, um, to to what the experience is that, that that you have. You get some personalized and very friendly customer service mm-hmm. uh, because we hire people who want to do that.
1: Right. And I imagine they're given a little bit of a green light to kind of to be a little creative and to, to kind of shine in their own way uh, as long as it's you know good for the company. Would that be an accurate that, you know description?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. We encourage our employees um, to be themselves. Right. And we, we tell them know, we saw something really special in you um, to made us make us want to hire you, and we want you to share that with our customers. It's amazing
1: how counterintuitive that is to other companies that are asking people to be a very specific way all the time, to really, you know, here's the box you live in, and please don't step outside those lines or there's going to be a problem. And then they wonder why they don't have that. The kind of respect and the kind of admiration for their employees or their brand that maybe a company like yours would have. But that's still got to be a challenge, I imagine, on your end to, you know, how big is the box and how much freedom do they get to to be themselves, you know, before it becomes a problem?
3: So Southwest is famous for saying that we have guidelines instead of rules. And as long (laughs) as the employee is leaning towards the customer, then the company will support that. Employee. So, we, I think we do give our employees um, quite a bit of um, bandwidth to do the right thing. And that's a phrase you hear quite frequently mm-hmm. at Southwest um, is that we encourage our employees to do the right thing.
1: Right, right. Well, it's amazing how successful the company has been at, at really being able to manage that and do that with as many employees as that you have and to continue to be, you know, really at the top of, uh, of people's minds when they think about the kind of culture and the kind of talent they would like to have within their own company, even if they're not uh, a firm that, you know, services so many people in a, in a day and touches so many people in a day. Well, maybe can I, turning back to you for a second, you know, prior to you coming over to Southwest Airlines, you worked as the VP of Human Resources at Metasoft Software, and I think for just over 10 years. So maybe you could talk about what are some of the experiences you had there that maybe you took from that role that kind of influenced your own leadership position with, uh, you know, where you're working now?
3: Oh, that was a very high-paced environment. So when I joined Metasolve, it was a startup software company um, just in Addison, Texas, and grew very rapidly. Um, We took the company public. We did several um, acquisitions, Um, so so very, very high growth. And, you know, what I was able to to witness was the power of both positive leadership and negative leadership. And... The acquisitions that um, that we did was just such a good tie-in to um, to Southwest um, and the acquisition of Airtran. So what I learned from from those previous acquisitions or experiences that I could could take to um, Southwest and and actually appreciate even more um, the position that Southwest took when looking at those AirTran employees. Um, Mm -hmm. We gave every AirTran employee an opportunity at Southwest Airlines. Um, And we came out, um, came right out of the chute and said that um, verbally and publicly to all those AirTran employees. And that was really powerful and that was um, quite a different experience than than what I had 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 before.
1: Right. I think everyone has probably experienced some negative leadership uh, at one point in their careers, and those that learn from it, those that recognize it and ensure that they don't uh, repeat those mistakes or they don't repeat working for someone like that again seem to be those that are the most successful. Uh, so it's good to hear that you you know, are able to kind of distinguish between the both and, and, and maybe interpret it into a, a positive way.
3: Right, and from, from my experience, um, being human re- resources there, I could see the very real impact um, that one um, negative leader could have on a significant amount of people. Same with with the uh, impact of a positive leader, and how critical it is for an organization um, to hire a leader very well. Um, make sure um, that the the leaders that you hire um, will embody and will model the values that you have as a company.
1: So let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say a really good friend of yours from college is now, you know, been hired into a company, you know, the upper management level. It could be HR. It could be C-level or something. And they say, listen, I need to get, I really need to get the most out of the talent that I have around me right now. What advice would you give them?
3: Get to know their people. You know, really get to know the folks that, that work for you. Get to know what they're passionate about, um, what they enjoy doing. Um, encourage their strengths. You know, build a, a relationship of, of trust. Um, so, you know, have that open door where you can encourage your employees to come in and talk to you about, you know, what mistakes they have made. Mm-hmm. They ask for your advice. Um they ask for your encouragement, and you provide that encouragement and support willingly. And then when you do need to provide um, some coaching um, and address weaknesses, you've got a foundation of trust so that the employee um, knows that when you're providing that constructive criticism, you're doing it in their best interest because you know them, you know where they want to go, and you're just helping them achieve what, what they would like to achieve.
1: mm mm-hmm. That's great advice. So you know you've been, I think, in HR almost uh, 18 years, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen the the changes in, in what an HR department is and what their functionality really has become with the company. So one of the things that is most often talked about, particularly in large companies, is the transformation of HR from simply the transactional role to more strategic role among the company leadership. You know, how have you experienced this change, and you know, how do you see your role? In HR as a strategic player, kind of overall in the business objectives of Southwest Airlines.
3: Well, I think what's what's unique about Southwest, um, and we have we, we've needed to transform as an organization from being transactional um, to to being more strategic, and and part of that was really just born out of um, the volume of. Of work, you know, as as Southwest has grown, um, and needing to make sure that we can handle the day to day stuff while still being a thought leader. But the Southwest has been different in that there has been such a high value that it has been placed on people, um, a belief from the very beginning that people are our differentiator, and a belief that, um, the people department, um, needed to be central to that. So, um, it was even, you know, Herb Kelleher that really set some of the initial processes for um, hiring at Southwest and placed a huge responsibility on the recruiters and the people department um, to ins- ensure that we were um, selecting people who would, who would serve others
1: mm-hmm. really
3: well. So um, the, the recruiters and the people department have, have had this authority, if you will, um, to say who we won't hire. We never tell hiring a leader who they have to hire, um, but having the authority to say who we shouldn't hire because that individual um, does not align well with Southwest values.
1: That's an interesting way to put it, that you're kind of guarding the the company there by selectively saying who not to hire as opposed to who they should hire, because I think maybe they people tend to lean on HR to, to give the okay, right? It's okay to hire them and give me the yes, but you're kind of guarding it in a different way to say, well, no, I don't think this person's going to fit, regardless of whatever talents they may have or references they may come with. If they don't fit your culture, if they're not going to be the right person for your company, not just for the position, that that's that's kind of how you view it. That's, that's very interesting. So one question that I, I wanted to make sure I asked you was, um, you know, who had the greatest impact on your own personal uh, leadership
3: development? There was one person, um, for sure, um, at Matasolve early on who believed in my potential, and that made a huge impact on me and, and um, how I, in turn, want to grow the folks that, that work for me and be able to um, show someone how much you believe in them Um, is really critical it's very different Um, so I think when you think about promoting someone you've got performance and you have potential and a lot of times people are promoted based on their performance and at a critical time um, in in Metasol's history when there was an opportunity when we were growing and and should we you know hire in someone with greater HR experience um, than um, you know To me, there was a leader there that that believed in my potential and was there to support me in that. And that just made a gigantic impact um, on me.
1: Yeah. Being a mentor to someone seems like a a pretty important job uh, within an organization. So many of our guests have talked about having a really impactful, really important mentor in their career early on. And that's really catapulted them, you know, forward in their successes as they've, either move through an organization or moved on to other organizations in you know bigger and better positions kind of early on you got that support from a mentor but do you feel like there was maybe a specific skill or technique that maybe really contributes to your role now that you had to work on back then
3: oh back then and now um (laughs) one of the things that i still have to work on and i think i think a lot of leaders share this is being able to have crucial conversations so um, so we care about our employees and at Southwest this is this is one of the uh, those times when a strength also becomes a shadow weakness we love our people and um, sometimes that makes it difficult for us to have direct and very transparent conversations um, with our employees. So that's something that, that I continually work on and something that I help our leaders here at Southwest continually work on. And you just have to have that understanding that um, it's not about you. It's it's about this other employee, and people can't grow um, unless they know where they need to make improvements.
1: Well, and that's a it's a great lesson for people, I think, to really recognize about sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness, um, or one of your weaknesses that you can really what you really shine at can really come with, you know, things that you miss or things that you don't understand or things that you don't see because you're you're doing so well in a particular way. So I, 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 that's really really good that. Your organization is recognizing that to say, hey, listen, we love our people, but there are times when we have to really deal with someone and we need to deal with it correctly uh, if we want things to, to continue the way they are or, or to get that person to hopefully change and, and, and stay with the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of our favorite questions to ask uh, our guests, because uh, we usually get such unusual and eclectic and different uh, answers, is w- what are you reading right now?
3: So I am reading a book called The Weekly Coaching Conversation um, it's by Brian Sousa. Um, I have this wonderful um, thing that happens to me is I get a lot of books sent to me, um, which is fantastic. And this is a book that was sent to me that um, has, um, it's, it's a fable. So it's, it's written um, really well. And, and it's all about um, to be a good leader, you need to be a coach. It's really aligned with um, servant leadership, which is the, the model of leadership that we believe in here at um, Southwest Airlines.
1: Is it really the book kind of suggesting that you kind of give you some ideas or some practical tips on the different types of conversations you might have on a weekly basis with someone you're coaching?
3: Actually, it's it's more um, when you're reading it, you feel like um, this, this author is actually coaching you if you're right. a leader. And and uh, providing some some coaching moments to you, which in turn you can you can uh, use that. But it's one of the um, we do 360 assessments at South Southwest for our leaders, and we um, use that for developmental purposes. It's not part of the performance evaluation. It's just really to help our. Um, our leaders be um, even better. And when I talk to to new leaders who haven't gone through the process yet, um, and actually this is just a very recent, um, there was a quote I found in this book, actually before I started to read the book, um, which talks about, you know, in order to get your team to be coachable, you have to be coachable. Mm-hmm. And that the, um, you know, that your personal example is the most powerful leadership tool you have. Um, and that, that has really resonated with me, and it's resonated with the folks that I've I've talked to about the you know going through this 360 process.
1: How does the 360 process? Maybe you can give us a the listeners kind of a quick summary of what does that process look like? What are you doing with a 360?
3: So the 360 assessment that we um, um, have had developed it aligns with our leadership expectations. And uh, so the 360 um, it um, helps the leader assess how well they're doing against those leadership expectations, which are things like developing people, building great teams, um, being strategic, um, being knowledgeable. There's there's uh, several of these, and so um, we have our leaders, um, and we started with we started with our most senior executives when we launched this process. Um, and we've been slowly working it down um, to to the director level and they take the assessment um they provide a uh, a coach from the people department and uh we walk through strengths and and maybe a couple of um, one or two action items that uh, that this leader could work on and we suggest that they share it with their boss um, but it's actually not a requirement it truly is for their own personal development and to help them be uh, a better leader.
1: Oh, sounds like a great process. So you know I'd also like to ask you a little bit about your creative process you know how do you brainstorm effectively with your team or you know get them to think creatively in, in the right situation?
3: So one of the one of the values that we do have at Southwest we, we uh, encourage vigorous debate and dialogue. And I think the only way that you can have good debate and dialogue is if you've developed trust among your team. So that's key to having a creative process and, and having team members brainstorm um, with each other. As you know, you need to have the um, ability to feel free from criticism when you suggest that crazy idea, um, and uh, you need to have. Um, trust in order to, to be able to, you know, debate somebody's crazy idea with your own crazy idea. And, you know, we've I think, you know, we're kinda of known for for being different. Um, for for being that uh maybe that, that renegade, the ones the ones that don't necessarily follow the course. And I think that's um it's grained in, in the people who are already here and it's something since it is part of our, our values, something that we look for in, in people that we hire.
1: We do so many different things that I think organizations could really add into their companies. Some would take some work. Some would be maybe easy things they could implement. But, you know, one of the things that listeners generally ask, you know, are looking to get from our guests is how do they get the most out of the talent they currently have? You know, so how do they get the most out of each person? Do you have any suggestions on how they can do that?
3: I know I keep saying I keep saying trust. I think that's important. I think you also have to lead by example. Um, I think you know as a leader, you need to show that you're continually working to um, develop and improve. Um, Being transparent um, when you make mistakes. I think sometimes as as leaders, we're afraid to do that, but actually, um, that's how people learn. I learned how to ski about 10 years ago and was frustrated because I kept falling down. And uh, my ski coach said, well, if you're not falling down, you're not learning. So, And I've I've taken that with me as well. So if you, and I think I mentioned this, as well, you build that trust. You really get to know your people, understand um, what they are passionate about, create a safe environment, create that open door um, where people um, can use you as a mentor and, and show their, their vulnerabilities and go ahead and lead by example and show that you can be vulnerable too, that you make mistakes too. And sometimes it's not the mistake that's really important. It's that very next thing you do after making that mistake. Um, that's really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what you do after mistake is the most important thing. I mean, learning from it, making sure you don't repeat it, helping those around you understand what you're, failure was so they don't have to go through the same thing and there's so many great things that you can do after falling down or you know, making a mistake i think that people really overlook that the most successful people do do and everyone else looking up at them saying i wish i could be that successful are standing there not doing those those very simple things that that they could be doing we usually ask people how they uh, can learn more about, about your company, but I'm pretty sure people can find uh, Southwest Airlines if they're looking for them. Uh, if they're interested in learning more about you, how, how would they go about doing that?
3: Um, well, yes, yeah, southwest.com, great place to go um, yep. to learn more about Southwest for sure. And um, uh, for me, um, I am on LinkedIn and um, invite listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn. Always happy to um, share advice. Um, and and uh, and have a dialogue with uh, with other leaders and other HR professionals who want to I um, want to grow and um, and uh, help develop the the human resources profession.
1: Is that where you generally uh, kind of exist as in the LinkedIn world or do you venture out to Twitter or anything?
3: Yes, I am more of a LinkedIn person. I have not ventured out um, onto Twitter.
1: okay. Yeah, there's a huge HR community there as well that we've really been connecting with recently, so I was just, just curious.
3: <laughs> and Southwest does have a huge oh, huge course. social media yeah. um, presence on, on, on Twitter as well and Facebook as yeah, well. Yeah, I get
1: tweets from them and ding alerts and all kinds of things, you know, for, for great rates and, and to kind of keep track of what they're doing because being a great company. Well, Julie, thank you so much for being my guest today. Hopefully we can have you back on uh, at another time and see how things are going with your company Uh, and with you personally. Uh, We we hope that you'll uh, be open to that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. That's all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, Marty Furman and Julie Weber. Tune in next week the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for the Best of Talent Talk. We'll be off for two weeks for the holidays, but we'll have some Best of shows there for everyone. If you've missed some and want to hear them live again, we will have them playing for you. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Sound Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping clients with their people related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. People G2.